how interesting it is that the environment has saved us in many ways, you know, has saved our mental health and our social health and has provided space and ability for us to actually access the things we need in life, which is kind of crazy that it took a pandemic for us to sort of realize this. And hopefully people are getting the message that, hey, this is renewed, you know, attention on taking care of our natural spaces. Hello, and welcome to Middleish, the podcast about moderation in all things. I am Michael Gray. And I am Erin Green. And we and have a, a oh, I cut you off. That's we okay. Have, I'm, yeah, we got a guest with us. I'm just so excited. Us. She's so excited. She's so excited, guys. <laughs> we have a guest with us today. If you've been watching Middleish from very early on, from like uh, back way back in episode 10, you will recognize Lance Davidson. Hey, Lance. Hello. Davison, sorry, I said Davidson. Davison. Uh oh. Yeah, that. that's okay. Come I'll edit that out. That's okay. I won't. I won't really. But <laughs> it's always it's always a safety net if you say you're going to edit it out and then yeah, all the listeners hear it actually in the podcast. Yeah, I'll never think about it again. I'll forget it. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. This is this is great. And you guys have been doing this for how long now? Well over a year, right? Uh, not quite a year. Coming up on yeah. Wow. Like was it first part of June? That June, we I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I we're, think we're, I think we're com- coming up on a year in June. And our last recording yeah. with you, Lance, was at the end of July yeah. last year. So mm, okay. I know, which it kind of, it felt like maybe it was earlier in the year right. than that. But yeah, it was, we just yeah. looked it up. And it's it's pandemic COVID time warp. Yeah. yeah, pandemic time works a little different. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like three weeks and seven years all at the same time. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> So thank you so much for coming back and talking with us. And of course, you know, Lance, you and I are friends. We both live in Boise. Um, And one of the main reasons I wanted to have you back is because you are just so in tune with the middle-ish concept um, as it relates to all aspects of health and our natural environment. So we'll talk about uh, some of those things and maybe have you, you know, kind of reintroduce yourself for those listeners that haven't heard episode 10, I would encourage you all to go back and listen to it. I had some audio problems. So just, you know, ignore those. I was the problem child on that episode. Um, but we had a really great discussion to get to know Lance a little bit on a, on a personal level too. So thanks so much for coming back, buddy. Welcome back, man. Yeah. Good to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, that was in a park as well too. So if you guys want to see alive in the park with planes flying over and squirrels running around, it's well (laughs) worth it. And Aaron's hot mic. Yeah. Right, yeah. And Aaron yelling at everyone. <laughs> so Lance, I'd like you to oh. tell us about. Jeez, so, I thought so this we were is... over this. I know. We never forget us old guys. No. no. <laughs> so it's funny. Um, I have learned I'm really bad at telling my own story. So it's fun to talk with Aaron and Michael and have you guys pull that story out of me. But maybe a quick piece for those that that don't know me. I recognized years ago that my why is really connected to the environment and relationships with people. So you'll see that thread in everything that I do. Leadership is important to me. Community is important. Uh, Raising our kids in a village is important. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have a company that's been going almost 10 years now. Our friend Antonio Gonzalez with Tritown, um, his company and my company are about the same age. So it's kind of funny. It's already been 10 years. But we are all about advancing leadership and impact through what we do, whether it's a management plan for your city trees or talking with uh, Antonio at Tritown about what he does and how that helps the community be better. Uh, We're engaged in support the Boise Brave mountain bike team uh, as sponsors and also serve on that board of directors. And we started a nonprofit about seven years ago called the Treasure Valley Canopy Network. And I am a co-founder of that. And that is now becoming its own standalone nonprofit this year and growing, doing a lot of exciting things. So, uh, and we do work all over the country for everything from landscape scale restoration work to uh, city level planning for, for stormwater and air quality and water quality. So it's, uh, we're kind of all over the map with what we do, but 
I definitely don't invest in anything unless I think it's going to have an impact and make a difference. And we also like to have fun doing it, build really robust, fun teams. So that's maybe in a nutshell what I do and why I do it. That's all. Yeah, that's <laughs> just, all. Just that. it, <laughs> hearing that, it sounds so, um, I would say, almost removed from what I know you really are and do in our community. You know, I think what we want to make the connection of today is how this environmental attention and passion and work is really critical to our community health, to our physical health as human beings. And maybe talk about, you know, we're a little over a year into this pandemic and talk about how taking care of our environment really has come to, you know, the forefront of people's attention. And mm -hmm. what I love about your work, Lance, is that you, you know, we, we hear these projects you're involved in, like the mountain bike team. And, you know, you just mentioned, uh, Antonio's business, Tritown. So there's, you know, triathlon and just kind of local business yet you're like the environment guy. So you're talking about conservation <laughs> and clean water. And so I think, you know, again, we kind of mentioned this in the first episode, but making that connection, I think is really, really critical for our listeners. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit more and how you came to see that these two things really need to be, um, worked in tandem. Right. No, I think it probably comes from my upbringing. My parents are teachers and coaches. My grandfather was a family physician. And so the lens that I looked through the world was how do we build community together? Uh, it was connected to health and fitness. My parents were swim coaches and my grandfather being a physician, I knew that health was connected to that somehow. And so it is funny because Aaron, you know me to the core pretty well, having competed in triathlon, which now we have a four-year-old and I don't do that so much anymore, but it's <laughs> yeah. still so connected to being healthy, right? And the pandemic shined a light on something that I think we didn't see before. Uh, we didn't see the need for having healthy spaces right outside of your doorstep of your house. Mm -hmm. And so in the sustainability world, in the um, in the urban infrastructure world, we knew for years and years that it was important to have city trees, um, that it was important to have a place where it wasn't so darn hot that you couldn't walk on the sidewalk. And the pandemic shined a light on that. And so it's often been the underfunded thing in a city. Everybody builds the infrastructure and then, oh, we'll throw some trees in and because the ordinance says we should do that. Uh, but now, it is a living infrastructure that delivers benefits and people dealing with all the craziness and mental health issues with a pandemic were healthier if they could get outside and recreate. And you're not doing that if you live in a concrete jungle uh, and packed tightly with people. So what we thought at first was going to be a really bad thing for funding for urban trees and urban infrastructure has been really good. Uh, we have an administration now that is investing in infrastructure very heavily, and they want that to be a living infrastructure that returns all those benefits. So for me, it's natural. It's funny as people get to know me, whether the mountain bike team has been a ton of fun, honestly, because it's something that my daughter's interested in. I can support her in that. And I'm working with people that don't know me as the environment guy. They've never met me before. Uh -huh. And they start to see organizationally how my brain works and how we're building a great fun mountain bike team that is coming up with three pillars to raise our kids underneath community, adventure, and racing. And we have an exciting new head coach on board and we can raise our kids in an amazing environment and also teach them to be stewards of that environment. Right. Aaron and I've talked a little bit about that. This is awesome that people are getting outside more and more connected to the environment. The challenge is that some of those people that haven't ever recreated in the natural environment before don't know how to treat it and take care of it. Sure. And even if you do know how to treat it and take care of it, you have more and more people. So there's more and more of an impact. So I think we have an opportunity and a challenge ahead of us to teach these people how to take care of the environment. And, um, there's tons of directions we could go with this. Uh, 
in Boise, for example, because our population is booming because people want to move here and recreate outside, we're now having to have regulations on how you use the trails. Mm -hmm. And that really upsets some people, mm -hmm. but it's the reality, you know? Um, so I saw a post, Aaron, that you put on social media the other day that I thought was perfect of, come on, people, let's be nice to each other. Let's figure this out. Um, and be kind. Yes. Yes. And there's a Boise nice project that we've been involved in that you're seeing a little bit more of, um, mm -hmm. when a lot of new people move in and might not have the ethic or, or understand how life is. Sometimes those of us that created that foundation can almost go to the dark side a little bit. So mm -hmm. let's be sure. welcoming. Let's be a city for all. Let's, uh, yeah. we can make it happen, but take a breath. Yeah. Well, and one thing, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up in Boise, but I grew up an hour away from Boise in Ontario, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, so I spent a lot of time in Boise and lived there for a while. And, uh, you know, people who are native to Boise, there's a real love of that city. You know, there's a, it has a real unique relationship of native, uh, you know, people who are native to Boise and the city. There's a real connection between those two. And I think because Boise is having such a huge influx of people from other places, you're seeing them, my guest is seeing them come in. They don't have that affection. They don't have the fondness for the city. It's just a city right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe just a city they lived in, um, you know, cause a lot of cities, they don't have that kind of vibe that Boise does where mm -hmm. it just kind of resonates. And if the city feels alive, you know, it reminds me of like Austin, kind of the same thing. It's just like, this mm -hmm. is something different here. And so you, you have people coming into this space and it's just, just another stupid city, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, and I think there's a, a big disconnect and I get that sort of protectiveness of, you know, I know this is my city and this city's special and mm -hmm. these trails are special and these foothills are special and they're sacred. And, you know, this is where, anyway, yeah, I think there's probably a, a big disconnect there. That's going to be a challenge as that influx continues and probably mm -hmm. continues to get bigger to, to help kind of manage that sort of sacred city relationship. I think that's yeah. well said. And I, I mean, just back to how the pandemic has influenced this, you know, we mm -hmm. see a lot of just this mass exodus from urban landscapes, you know, and from large cities. And so people are wanting to be into more open spaces, um, experience the environment in a new way. And Boise is one of those hotspots. I pointed out, Lance, when we were talking a few weeks ago, this interesting paradox that I see when you mention stewardship and your involvement mm -hmm. with, you know, the Boise Braves and, um, taking care of our trails and teaching people how to preserve this environment. Because if one thing we've learned from the pandemic, we need to take care of the space because we didn't have places to safely hold religious mm -hmm. services or to socialize with friends or to spend a nice afternoon, you know, being out in the city was, or in the uh, environment was really important for us. So how do we protect that? And the interesting paradox I have seen, and I think this is where, you know, the middle-ish concept comes in for me is some people approach environmental spaces like, oh, this is public land. I own this land. Right. I can do whatever I want with it. Or like you said, you know, some of the old charge on the trails that I've lived in Boise for 50 years, and we have never had to choose a direction on different days to ride the trail or have this regulation. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> and then on the other extreme, you have people that still think I'm going to, you know, do what I want, but they just completely trash the, the environment and don't have any regard for taking care of it, cleaning up after themselves, any responsibility of conservation. So I, yet there's this like ownership, it's mine. It mm -hmm. belongs to me yet. You're not taking care of it. Mm -hmm. So I really am interested to hear some of you, you know, your thoughts and your experience in that realm and how we all can not only be better stewards, but encourage others to be better stewards. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think that's such an important thread. And Aaron, you and I both grew up in small farming communities. And so I grew up with a real land ethic. You know, I worked the land helping farmers and ranchers and orchardists. And I saw 
how passionate they are about the land, which is kind of the polar opposite of what some of the city slickers think of people that consume or farm or ranch or log. And um, I just, unfortunately, amidst all the pandemic and our political divides, you saw that get worse, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what we need to understand is we all need to be stewards of that resource, whether we're living in the city as I do now and recreating on the trails, or whether you run livestock on the trails. And the more that we can help people understand and get and sit down at the table together and understand we're all stewards of this resource. And you know what? I um, build my house out of wood and mm -hmm. I eat meat or I eat vegetables. We all rely on each other. We rely on the agricultural system to do that for us. So let's mm -hmm. love each other and care about helping each other to make that happen. Um, and I think it's a simple thing, right? When you see somebody recreating on the trails and they don't understand what it means to be a steward of the resource, be a, instead of being a shaming factor, be a calming, helpful, friendly factor, right? Exactly. <laughs> but that was the other interesting thing about the pandemic was people were out recreating, but they were also dealing, wrestling with tough mental health issues, economic mm. issues at home. And you saw some pretty ugly things happen. Yeah. Um, let's, we're all people, you know, yeah. we all want to be safe and we all want to enjoy our environment. Mm -hmm. And so just take a breath. It's easy to rant and rave and th that's kind of the, the easy route, right? It doesn't sure. help anybody. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that quite gets to the thread of being a steward, but let's all help mm -hmm. each other be better stewards. Yeah. Um, let's, I feel really bad for people that are ranting and raving cause they're afraid, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, it, it makes me sad and I don't understand why. And if you can ever get some of those people in a space to have an open conversation and understand that we all want the same thing. We just might watch a different news channel or <laughs> that's I'm yeah. curious when you say they're afraid, um, tell us a little bit more. What do you think they're afraid of when it comes to like environmental issues and taking care of things or changing behavior? Right. Uh, I think I have friends all across the spectrum, you know, and my political views are actually different than where the political party that I've subscribed to is going. And so I'm always looking and I think just mental health wise being curious, right? And so I'm curious, why are they scared? I think people are scared um, right now because they saw a lot of uncertainty in the last year. I think they're scared because they're afraid of whatever rights are important to them might be taken away if they uh, are open to change. They're scared of their livelihood being in somebody else's hands. And I think the more that we can build bridges and help people understand um, that hopefully that's not the direction we're headed. I don't see that being the direction we're headed, yeah. but we do need to be a little more inclusive um, as a society and understand that we're, we're built on a lot of those foundational pieces. We're all immigrants to this country, mm -hmm. um, but then it gets complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> really mm -hmm. quick. Yeah. Uh, but Some yeah, people stop listening at that point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and I was actually on a meeting this morning with um, a recycling company in town that we're looking to partner with. And I have always felt like green is blue and red. Mm -hmm. Donkeys are interested in green. Elephants are interested <laughs> in green. Um, yeah. It's... <laughs> You just, it depends on how you talk about it. Right. Right. And so, uh, yeah, we all, don't we all want a better environment, right? Yeah. Don't we all want to be able to eat healthy food and, yeah. and play outside with our kids. Right. I think when you get down to that core value, you can maybe start to melt away some of that divisiveness. Right. So that, I think that brings up a good point or a, a good question, maybe, um, you know, we do have these sort of like extremes politically, right? And and by no means do any of us who subscribe to those parties, like you say, live in those extremes, but the parties sort of operate in these extremes. Um, so where do you see overlap between left and right 
conservative, liberal, you know, whatever. Where where are the the places that maybe those those belief systems, you know, political systems have overlap that we tend to miss or not see? Mm-hmm. You know, I think a really good story in Idaho, and I'd like to branch a little bit beyond Idaho too, Mm -hmm. because I know you have listeners all over the world. Um, But in Idaho, we had a longstanding Republican congressman, uh, Congressman Simpson, come out with a plan to remove the Snake River dams. Highly controversial. But I've known and worked with Simpson's office for many years. I know that this has been an interest of theirs for a while. Um, not because they're not extremely interested in our local economies and our agriculture economy and way in life. It is that we, because our population is growing and because technology is changing and because a lot of things are changing, we can't continue to just do things the way we used to do. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of government systems set up on subsidizing things that aren't necessarily sustainable. So what I love about the way he took that approach, um, like you could easily stand on one side or other of the aisle and either be way forward or way against it. But ultimately he said, we know this needs to change at some point. So let's roll up our sleeves and let's figure it out. We're going to have to invest a lot of money in subsidizing some things to make this change. But do we want to ultimately save the salmon and the value that that has for our economy? And so I think that's why I love in the space that I work, bringing collaborators together. I want to have the people that want to save the salmon at all costs at the same table as the people that want to save those dams at all costs and figure it out. Mm. And that's what I like about the congressman is he is a really good collaborator. Um, But that was a bold statement. You know, he lost a lot of votes, I'm sure over that. But I hope people can see that his passion is creating a vibrant economy for the Pacific Northwest and a, a vision for the future instead of sticking in the ways we used to do it, you right. know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that to me, that shines a light on a specific example right. of somebody that took a stand. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that we saw also happen during this pandemic was, I don't know about the two of you, but for me, you know, I would raise my hand and argue for an issue periodically, but for the most part, I would sit back, let other people make those arguments or cause life is pretty good. Right. But then when things start to be really threatened or you start to really get upset, I saw a lot of what I would consider hope in how people stood up for what was right over mm. the last, uh, over the last year. And so when I look to how we come out of this pandemic, our kids are going to be more resilient than we were. I mean, we had it pretty easy. Uh, They had to deal with a global pandemic. Um, So I think it's a good thing. I guess I always look at the silver lining because what if you don't? You have to, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, it's all dark clouds. (laughs) Right, right. No, I think that answers it well. And I think it just illustrates the point of like, we often look to, you know, politicians and leaders and just sort of emotionally respond to things they say versus taking things that they say, maybe we need to do these things that head in that direction and then bringing it down to a conversational level where we yes. as people who elect these people can sort of find common ground and common space and that kind of thing. And I think that's that's a good point that we, we need to bring it back down to this interpersonal level versus just these conversations happening outside of us in these political, political spheres. Yeah, right. no, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, and you know, just, we haven't talked a lot about politics on here on Middle-ish, but mm-hmm. I think that the political realm is a perfect place for people to, like you said, Michael, you know, find that overlap. Like how mm-hmm. can you find some of that middle ground and that agreement and, you know, beyond the the larger policy driven initiatives, I think that on an individual level that can definitely be leveraged as well. So, you know, for just going back to the, um, you know, the trail system and there's this whole, you know, argument between pedestrians or foot traffic on the trails and Mm -hmm. cyclists on the trails and just understanding that, that, that other individual, first of all, is wanting to 
glean the same benefits from this outdoor mm-hmm. space as you are. They right. want to be out in nature. They want to get some stress relief. They want to move their bodies. And how can we sort of put ourselves in the other person's shoes, or at least recognize that, that they're out mm-hmm. here enjoying these trails too. I, I went for a bike ride. Um, I don't know, probably a month ago with a small group of friends, but a couple people that I had not met before. And one of the guys that was riding with us, we were, it just got super busy on the trails. It was one of the first, you know, near 70 degree days in Boise. And so everybody comes out (laughs) and we were stopping just constantly to let people buy. And he goes, he turns to me and he goes, we get to share this beautiful space with so many people. And he just, he said it in a, like a really grateful, thankful kind of way. And this is a guy that's lived in Boise for, you know, decades. So to me, that was just like, how can we, you know, and then we joked about like, you're the friendliest trail greeter in the group. You know, he was like, have a lovely day. Like anybody that would come by and I just, you know, another example is Matt and I just went mountain biking in Southern Utah. And there's a lot of side-by-sides and ATV users and trail users. And, you know, I will be honest, I, the noise is kind of like, you know, I wish I didn't have to hear that when I'm out here enjoying like the peace and quiet on my bike. But if I would operate from a place of understanding that all of these people are enjoying this space in their way, Mm -hmm. and we may see it differently, like how we enjoy the space versus how they enjoy the space. But if we're all being good stewards in our own way and acknowledging and kind of recognizing that in the other person, I think that that's where this, you know, this, this whole political and environmental tug of war can really find some common ground. Yeah. Well, and I think adding to that, Aaron, having worked in the natural resource realm for, geez, I'm old now, like over 20 years, um, it, to watch that evolve and change, right? So the forest service mandate was always multiple use. So everything on a landscape and that gets really complicated, but also they went from most of their funding come from timber harvest to now, I think that recreation is more important we're maybe going to have a better flow of funding to address some of these issues, right? And find opportunities to, yeah, every use on a landscape is probably not good. So what's the appropriate use for this one or that one or whatever? And this is all natural part of population growth and more accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going down the Grand Canyon floating in our rubber raft and being so frustrated with the J rigs, the big motor yeah. rigs, baloney boats, we call them. And uh, my friend that is even more of an outdoors person than I am pointed out that some people, that's the only way they can do it. They don't have the physical ability or the knowledge or skills mm. to do what we're doing. So like if we were to take mom or dad down, this would be a way to show them that wonderful place. And yeah. so then how do you regulate that? And, but there is a real value to having a lot of our landscapes accessible to all, but I don't think we should have every landscape accessible for all. And the more people we get, the more demand we have on that, the more challenging it's going to be. But it's such a critical, important piece to come back to your, the value for mental health, physical Mm -hmm. health. Um, And if we can have our kids experience that more as they grow up, they can invest in that and prioritize it. We need money to take care of those lands and preserve those lands and harvest a resource out of them. Right. So Lance, have you seen in the last, you know, year-ish with this pandemic thing and people exploring, you know, outside in their cities, communities, more um, public spaces, have you, have you seen a, a growing interest in, from cities in developing more public spaces and, you know, creating more spaces for people to be and enjoy outside? Definitely. It's been a lot of fun. Luckily in Boise, there has been a real vision of having downtown be a park for many years. So I would encourage folks to follow our social media over the course of the rest of this month, because we're going to be doing some highlights on what city of Boise is doing downtown, what we're doing with the city of trees challenge, taking advantage of, of earth week, Uh, But you know what's cool? When I was a kid, Earth Week was when we really focused on the earth. Mm -hmm. I think today we focus on the earth every day. And Mm -hmm. so um, 
getting back to your question about how, how the priorities have changed, you know, something in the last just two years that's changed, Michael, is private equity investment in conserving land, okay. in converting farmland from heavy tillage to little to no tillage. Uh, we have people that are investing a lot of money. The government used to be the only one that invested in that. Now we have private equity firms that you can invest your retirement in responsible resource management choices, and it pays. We are just today, actually, we just announced that with the Canopy Network, our city forest credits project was approved by a national registry. And we also have a funder that will announce within the next few months that is buying those credits so that they can then, those are offsets for people that are polluting or their imprint on the land is producing carbon. They can offset it by purchasing these credits and then we can invest it in more tree planting. So it is now becoming fiscally responsible, not only environmentally responsible and the fun thing to do if I have a ton of money, it's fiscally responsible to invest in that open space, uh, right. to invest in, in tree planting. So it's in our realm, it's a super exciting time Yeah, uh, that the private side is almost more effective at that than the government side. It's been a really fascinating switch, I but bet. together with both those resources, we can do a lot of good. Excellent. That's great. Wow. That's, I had no idea that, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this, as somebody who is, um, you know, in the heart of the retirement planning and like, how do I invest? And, you know, I finally had a position to do that kind of thing. Um, that's a really, that's a great point that it's not just a feel good kind of thing that you do. Right. If you mm -hmm. have a ton of money, like you just said, I think that's, that's really good. And I mean, maybe unfortunately, maybe fortunately money talks. I mean, the bottom line is mm -hmm. really a powerful thing for a lot of individuals and a lot of yeah. agencies. So I think that's good for people to know that you can look into this, you know, this, this whole episode is about how we interact with our natural environment and our ecosystems around us and our, our public spaces. And this, you know, financial interaction is just as important as the physical mm -hmm. interaction, what you're doing when you're out there in the parks and on the trails. Yeah. Yep. And I think that, I don't know if we mentioned it during our last conversation, but that's something that I noticed our generation liked the idea of sustainability. We liked the idea of, um, of paying a little more so that we could enjoy the benefits for our environment, but we didn't really put our foot down and say, that's all I'm going to do. We would go buy the cheaper thing that was built outside of the country and isn't quite high quality because uh, it's just cheaper, but our kids are not that way. Mm -hmm. Um, we're doing more and more work with Boise state university. We actually, uh, helped with a class, um, an environmental science 101 class that we're just wrapping up and they, um, interacting with them is fascinating and joined a hazard and climate resilience Institute here at Boise state. And it's the future is bright when you look at what these kids are demanding. Um, so I, I think change is happening afoot like right beneath us right now. So it's an exciting time for us. And I feel like our generation is that bridge, right? Um, there's a few things that they don't do well that I'd like to help teach them to do. Um, but they're demanding change, you know, and it's, that's the only way that we're going to turn around the climate conversation and build sustainable farming practices yeah. so that we retain all those resources for years and years to come. And you see a clear, higher demand from younger generations in investing in our environmental yep. health in the future. Yep. That's and I, I've seen the opposite from some kids of like the climate reality and how scared they are, you know, of mm. the ships already left the station. We're going to lose our, mm. um, our coral reefs. And then, and that's sad to me again. Um, I guess I feel like if we're not spending every moment making some positive progress together this moment, if we're sitting back scared of one thing or the other, losing our rights or losing our environment, then that doesn't allow us to at least give it a shot. Mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned some of the cool initiatives that you're doing here um, locally, and I'm just looking at our little, you know, cue sheet for some of your fun projects. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the, I want to hear about the value of storytelling with Guy Hand and some of the work Mm. that you're doing there. That has been a fun thing that came out of the pandemic for me. I, uh, it's always interesting to hear an interview that I have with you because I'm really passionate about what I do, but I think I'm a crummy storyteller. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I met Guy Hand, I think last year through work we were doing at the farmer's market uh, and the work we're doing with our urban wood network, which is locally in the treasure Valley right now growing statewide. And we're reclaiming large urban trees that have to come down and creating cool tables Uh, I know Aaron has a heart of timber table. I have some heart of timber shelving in our new uh, build. And we have a partner, Urban Forestry Products as well, and Live Edge Slab Works, getting all these people together to sustainably grow something. And when I finally got these people on board, because I I don't do any of that stuff. I help herd the cat, so to speak. Um, I knew that we had to somehow tell a story. So I said, let's build a website but how can we tell a story? So Chris with Live Edge Slabworks said, hey, Guy Hand is the guy. And so um, I got together with Guy. And if you haven't met him before, he does a lot of work with food. I think Edible Idaho is his thing. He's really involved in the farmer's market in Fair, Idaho. And he's just a beautiful storyteller, super kind man. And so if you take a look at our Urban Wood Network webpage, we have a ton of video content on there. And he does drone footage and interviews. And the best one probably um, that we put out just in the last two weeks was a story of the neighborhood swing tree, which is right down from my house. A large silver maple over 100 years old had to come down. It was rotten. And it turns out that the neighbor, (laughs) which when I saw that the city had posted a sign, that's always everybody gets upset, right? Yeah, that this tree is going down. Oh. It's, it's, but they don't take that lightly, you know, they, they're taking it down because it's a hazard, but now that's going to turn into tables in people's houses in shelving. And turns out the neighbor that put a memorial on the tree is a local artist, Wendy Blickenstaff. So there's an interview with her that kind of tugged at my tears a little bit. Um, So I'd encourage you if we can share that after this episode for people to see, it tells a beautiful story of how that neighborhood swing tree uh, is no longer there. They replaced it with a new tree, but we're going to be able to have some artwork and furniture made out of that tree. And so the storytelling is beautiful. I think that's why I've been on several podcasts um, to share our story a little bit and talk with friends. I interviewed Antonio for his 10 year anniversary at Tritown. And I think giving people that interpersonal connection, getting back to the issues of the divisive politics, if we can just sit down and talk together, like the power of a podcast conversation or the power of a written interview, it's so important. Mm -hmm. And that has been a fun journey, I think, of of our storytelling um, that I can now do more and more because I know the people that can make it look good. Right. I can tug in. I'm kind of that interviewer that can tug information out of you, but I just, I'm not good at putting together the story. So I've got a village that does that now with us. I love that. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely link that and yeah. share it on our social. Um, cause that's a cool story. I mean, we, as you mentioned, we have this beautiful dining room table that Alex at heart of timber made. And, you know, for us, I mean, it's a beautiful furniture piece. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the I mean, it is like the centerpiece of our home, essentially. We're shopping for a home. And every time we look at a home, will our table <laughs> fit there? Will our table fit there? Because, it. because it has become such an important um, you know, centerpiece of our lives. And mm-hmm. the coolest part, and I would encourage anybody, whether you're listening locally in Boise or if you're across the world, to look at community initiatives and agencies that are utilizing local artists, local, um, you know, conservationists and, and just your natural resources in your area. I mean, we have a ton of timber around here and we just have, like you said, trees around the city, like the tree in our table came from a golf course, um, just, you know, 10 miles away. So I think it's a really cool way to, you know, 
honor and appreciate our natural environment in that way and to have it live on, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really cool sort of circle of life kind of thing that you, you know, it has a life beyond just, you know, being a tree out there. And it is really sad when a tree has to come down or a natural space has to change, but how can we, you know, continue to celebrate that is cool. Yep. Yep. And another, uh, thing that's exciting that's happening is working in that realm of taking those products and recycling them and making them a part of your home. But also we're building partnerships with Lost Grove Brewing as an example of a local company that is really focused on creating good beer and a sense of community. And Yay. so <laughs> they're, yeah, they're so much fun. I love working with them and they are, we're doing our second Shade City celebration starting on Earth Day and running for over a week. We're converting their parking lot, which is what we consider an urban heat island. It's concrete not that, you know, it's for parking. Mm-hmm. We're converting it into a park. Our mm-hmm. nursery partners from Jaker Nursery are bringing in trees and we're converting it into a park where people can go in a COVID safe environment, have a beer, enjoy the park. We have a table that we're selling that Alex created from Heart of Timber that is from a large uh, maple tree that came down. And it's, it's a great celebration in our community of bringing community together, talking about the value of the Lost Grove. Um, I'm just so excited about helping entrepreneurs, helping small businesses grow and thrive after some really tough times because they're telling the story because they're building community. And that's, I would encourage you, no matter where you live, like Aaron said, invest in that. The urban wood movement is increasing quite a bit. We're helping grow it at a national level, building a network in Oregon, a network in Colorado, um, growing out of work that's been done in Baltimore. And it just makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Reduce what goes in the landfill. It has a better story. And um, people can now have a livelihood out of doing that. That's awesome. Wow. I love it. That's great. So Earth Day is, well, we're going to be releasing this podcast on Earth week. Right. And so earth day is for now it's next Thursday, but it's coming Mm -hmm. up this Thursday for you that are listening to this. Um, tell us a little bit more about what initiatives people can get involved in or how they can celebrate earth day in their own communities. You know, one thing that almost everybody does on earth day to celebrate earth day and Arbor day are right close to each other. Usually every state has a different time for here in Idaho earth days on Thursday this year, April 22nd and Arbor days on Friday, April 23rd, a lot of people plant trees. And what I would say about planting that tree is I would take a look at our city of trees challenge that we're building here with council president, Elaine Clegg in Boise. It's really focused around having an impact and making a difference. There's a reason why we're planting 100,000 trees in the city of Boise. It's one, because we know there's space for them because we've done the research. And two, that's a tree for every household. So that connects to you as an individual. Mm. There's a reason we're investing in planting 235,000 seedlings in Idaho forests. Those trees will sequester carbon. Uh, We know, again, there's space for them. And that is a tree for every resident in the city of Boise. So this challenge is really built around impact and focusing on impact. If you're going to plant a tree, spend a little time thinking about where you should plant that tree so it can make a difference. Um, And it's as simple as looking at, can it shade your house? Is it going to be near a street where it can reduce air pollution? Is it near a waterway where it can improve water quality? Um, So it's, it can be as simple as planting a tree. And now we've seen the change at a national level where it was hard to convince people to plant trees to now there's so much tree planting going on. We're trying to boost up the nursery industry to grow more trees, but every tree that we plant should be planted with purpose. The same reason we do what we do, right? We're not getting rich on off this, but we do what we do for a purpose. We want to help people be healthier. We want to help the environment be healthier. So when you plant your tree for Earth Day and Arbor Day, plant it with purpose. Um, And I mentioned the City of Trees Challenge because we're growing that nationwide. We have cities in Utah, Nebraska, 
um, several cities in the Treasure Valley in Idaho that are interested and we'll be launching that grow out because that was Elaine's vision, Council President Clay. She said, let's start this idea in the city of trees and let's grow it nationally. It's pretty simple, um, but let's, wow. let's do it on purpose um, for a purpose. I love that Boise is the city of trees and mm -hmm. you're going to plant a hundred thousand more of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes. Like no one's claiming this title. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. great, man. We're solidifying <laughs> our spot. C-O-T. We're going to get way out and then we'll spread it to you guys just so mm -hmm. we can keep the throne there. <laughs> right, right. And what's been fun about it too is that we're also bridging that urban rural divide a little bit. Mm. Uh, Elaine works in smart growth as well. So she works with small communities and we deal with this. Every big city deals with this, right? Of the people that don't like the big city because they think they've got it all figured out. Um, and what I like about work, the more and more I work with the city of Boise staff, we're really focused on, yes, making an impact here, but building bridges to other places. I mean, if you want to join the city of trees in what city are you in, Michael? Uh, League City. League yeah, City, which is outside of Houston. Of Houston. Yeah. yeah. I think 20 miles south of Houston, something like that. So if League City wants to join, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're going to have you follow some key principles, right? Mm -hmm. Climate action, engaging your citizens, actually planting with purpose, on purpose. Mm -hmm. And then you can grow that in the way that you want. That's um, good because Texans don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> I know, I know. Which is also wonderful, right? You can live in places where they tell you everything to do, or that's they right. let you do whatever you want. In this yeah. wonderful country of ours. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so, what else is coming up? Anything else? Any other? Any other things with Earth Day and Arbor Day coming up? Any other like national initiatives or anything? There are some pretty exciting national initiatives we're working. Congress is pushing out a lot of opportunities for climate action, for mm -hmm. everything from harvesting timber in the right way for sustainable uses and reduce fire hazard to planting more trees to improve the climate. So we're working really hard on trying to get some of that funding into the right cities and do what we want to do on purpose to maximize that, that federal investment. Um, Arbor Day Foundation is doing a lot of great stuff with their Time for Trees initiative. They actually funded uh, planting 30, I think it's 35,000 forest seedlings in Boise National Forest. Uh, we partnered with the Nature Conservancy in Idaho to do that. So that's happening this spring, which is exciting. Every, and they offer these grant programs nationwide. So Arbor Day Foundation is doing a lot of great stuff. American Forest is doing a lot of really good work on the advocacy side, working with Congress to to funnel funding to the right places to build resilience. And they also have a Trillion Trees Initiative, which we're a part of as well. Um, there's just, it's exciting time. If, yeah. if you wanna get engaged, the opportunity is ripe to get engaged, whether you're a fifth grader or an 80 year old, um, there is an opportunity to, to get engaged, have an impact and make a difference. And I think ultimately find ways to build bridges with people. Yeah. ways to come together regardless of whether you're wearing a blue tie or a red tie. <laughs> and and uh, there are, we'll link a bunch of these websites that, you know, the different initiatives that you've mentioned, your social media, we'll link all this in the show notes, uh, but you can go to earthday.org and look at all kinds of suggestions. And I had grabbed a quote, and I think this might be the perfect time for the quote because you just were, you know, discussing all of these things that people can do and get involved in. As an individual, you yield real power and influence as a consumer, a voter, and a member of a community that can unite for change. Don't underestimate your power. When your voice and your actions are united with thousands or millions of others around the world, we create a movement that is inclusive, impactful, and impossible to ignore. And that's, I mean, power in numbers, right? Is kind of the, yeah. the main theme there. And yeah. when I think about Earth Day, I mean, of course, I, I was just thinking of like on the granular level, like if what could I do as an individual? And 
one of the things that I, I sort of have this policy, if I'm out on a walk or a bike ride and there's a piece of trash that is in my path, I'm going to pick it up. I mean, I'll stick it in a pocket. I'll stick it in my pack. Um, yes, I know during times of COVID people have gotten really squeamish about touching things that don't belong to them, but, um, honestly it's, I mean, go home and wash your hands. Like you'll be fine, Mm -hmm. but just, you know, maybe that's something that you can commit to on your next walk or trail run, or, you know, going out to eat or something. And you see a piece of trash on the sidewalk or on the trail to just pick it up like do something very simple. And if everybody did that, like this statement is, you know, when you unite in the power of thousands or millions that can make a huge impact. And that's just Mm -hmm. one example. I mean, planting Mm -hmm. a tree or growing a garden or, um, you know, getting involved in trail work in your city or some, you know, parks, um, cleanup and, and improvement. There are so many things that you can do to take care of our natural spaces that if you commit to it and you get a small group of friends, and then if Mm -hmm. we start kind of reaching further, and I think that's what earth day is all about is trying to get this power and numbers, um, to come together and make a difference. Yep. No, I a hundred percent agree. And that kind of gets to the middle-ish thing as well. I was, I went for a run with a friend the other day that is, a hardworking physician and just frustrated with where things are going with climate and, and has set really lofty goals. And I think we need to be middle-ish about it. Make it simple. Mm -hmm. You can't make it. It's not like that huge diet to drop 50 pounds. That's the key. It's finding a journey to drop two pounds every few days and pick up that little piece of trash. We can't make it a daunting task. It's got to be a simple part of your life. And yes, river rafting, we always, the kids get rewarded for finding micro trash before we clean up camp. Um, Mm -hmm. Just look for that picket. It's simple. It's super Mm -hmm. simple. Um, And, but we need everybody. We need the whole army doing that to have an impact and make a difference. Um, And if you try too hard to be the one that saves it all, you might not survive um, <laughs> that valiant effort. So right. do the little things. Yeah. Burn out quick. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's well, quote, you know, Aaron. yeah, thank you. Even though I, you know, I kind of flubbed some of the, <laughs> I'm getting all t- tongue tied trying to discuss this, but man, it's a, it's pretty powerful. I get really encouraged by power in numbers because sometimes I feel like, you know, I, know how I can commit to making a change and doing things that I feel are right for the environment or myself or my family or something. But then how do you engage others? Like, how do you get that, that powerful movement? And I think this, you know, this is a great example of how you can get involved in that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. So I think it's a good time to do our meaning in the mundane. What do you think? Are you, are you prepared Lance? I am. I think a lot about your meaning in the mundane because it's brilliant, nice. right? Yeah. No, you guys you know, are good. It's, but I, it's not been it. one I don't of those go things. first. That's I'm fine. not going yeah. first. Then. That's fine. Okay. We'll, we'll let you go last. <laughs> it's been one of those things that we, you know, we did an episode really about that whole concept just not very long ago. It's been one of those, like probably the biggest surprises in this whole podcast venture that we've done about just how, how much impact it has really had just a simple thing done consistently, you know, and we, you know, in that episode, Aaron and I both shared just kind of how it's impacted us personally and people we know just, just to acknowledge beauty in small moments, you know, it's, it's, it's really been a powerful thing. So I'm glad you, you feel the same way. All right, Aaron, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, since we got back from Utah, uh, our cat rally, of course, anybody who listens and knows us knows that he's our baby. And I'm watching him kind of flick his ear when I say his name right now, he's (laughs) just across the room. And when we were gone on vacation for a week, um, we had some neighbors and their kids take care of him. And he was just a stinker. He didn't want to be snuggled. (laughs) He didn't want attention. He wanted to stay out all night and then he wouldn't get you know, let out in the morning and his schedule was all off. So when we got back, we, you know, ratcheted down and put him back on the schedule of you're coming in at night. You're not staying out all night, you know, just like rearing a child. And I, I just have to say he has, I think he missed us. I mean, 
those of you who know cat personalities are probably laughing your asses off at me. Like, yeah, right. Aaron, your cat missed you. (laughs) But I really think he did because he comes in every day now that I'm back home and talks to me and wants to sit in my lap and wants, you know, just wants that little bit of attention just to check and see if I'm here. Mm -hmm. He has been super affectionate, um, in the evenings, you know, if we're hanging out on the couch or something, he'll want to come and sit in one of our laps. And, um, he, you know, cries at us in the door in the morning. Like, are you guys awake? I don't really need to go outside or anything, but are you awake? Cause I'm just making sure you're awake. And just that little, you know, Matt and I had a great time, um, adventuring and, and mountain biking and, but he's rally is a piece of our lives. And so it's just that nice little, you know, mm. daily third part of our family that, you know, we miss when he's not around. And so that's been mine, um, over the past week, I'm just like, man, I miss this little guy. And I, I miss our little routine and just kind of, you know, he, he knows us and our schedule, we know him and his schedule. And it's just, it's really fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Pets are the best, aren't they? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they have their moments, but (laughs) so do we, but they really are. Yeah. They bring a lot of joy. (laughs) Uh, mine is yeah regarding, um, an animal as well. Um, our, our dog scooter. Um, so we just last night, um, the girls were in bed and, um, I was just kind of laying on the living room floor, petting him and kind of resting a little bit. And Kathleen came out and sat on our little ottoman and we were just messing around with them and playing and, you know, kind of doing tug of war and giving snuggles and, and it was just the simplest thing, you know, it was, I don't know, seven, 10 minutes maybe of just the two of us, you know, coming together around this animal has become a, a really big part of our family and um, just laughing and enjoying, you know, this the company and place that this dog has taken in our lives and our home and stuff. And just this, just this really fun little moment of enjoying this pup, you know, and getting kisses and snuggles and wrestling with them and just this nice little moment. Yeah. That was, that's mine this week. Pets just simple. are the best. See, See? I know Pets that's what great. I just if said. You don't, if you don't have a pet, go get one. Go, go adopt get a pet. one. Yeah. Go get a pet. We, uh, we pets have always been a big part of our life. I always say if I didn't put the hammer down, my wife and daughter would have a petting zoo. They mm-hmm. like, uh, <laughs> fainting goats and all that kind of stuff. But, um, ultimately, they end up being my best friend and we have a cat that's a little kind of crawls in neighborhood, scares dogs off the sidewalk kind of thing. (laughs) But uh, I'm going to go with our little four-year-old animal, my son, um, on a little bit of meaning in the mundane. So I I swung by Aaron's house this morning to pick up something and uh, I was in Old Blue, my 1979 GMC pickup that my dad bought when he was when I was two years old Mm. and it is Cody's favorite thing. And so every morning uh, we get up in the morning and get ready for school and it's time to go in all blue. So he sits on the bench seat in the middle in his car seat and we just chat and um, it's a little break from the crazy. Of course, it's loud old blue. He always right. tells me to make old blue quiet in the morning. Cause <laughs> yeah, I heard you up. coming. I was <laughs> oh, like, <no>. What? <laughs> There's a thunderstorm coming. Um, and it's just, it's really special time with him every morning and he cherishes it. And um, the other morning he was, he started to identify all the birds as we go along. Um, so we saw, let's see, a seagull, pigeon and a raven. And he even will tell me to turn on my blinker when I forget to turn on my blinker or what, what's that? It's a stick shift as well. And now I'm teaching my teenage daughter and her friends how to drive old blue stick shift. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's just a little family heirloom that we still have and we truck along in it. But the, those moments with Cody in the morning are pretty special. And he loves yeah. it. He brags about old blue at school and mm-hmm. talks oh, about cute. how loud it is. And it's a monster truck and all that stuff. So yeah. um, mm. kids, are he's our little, too. he's our little monster that kind of spices things up around here. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Lance, it was great to yeah, visit great, with you man. again. I feel like Thank we you. could just Thank keep you. talking. Um, how can people follow your <clears throat> projects and what are some, some main like social media uh, handles that they can follow. 
That's a great question. So sustain the key is our Twitter handle for the Keystone concept. If you just go to our website, thekeystoneconcept.com, you can get, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I'm just experimenting. I actually learn a lot from Aaron and Michael about how to do that. And I think like I was saying before, just connecting with people, too many large companies use social media to just put out information. We want to connect with people. So I'd encourage you to follow us there on LinkedIn is probably our greatest following just Lance Davison on LinkedIn. Um, and then the treasure Valley canopy network is tvcanopy.net, And we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. But I would really encourage people to follow those over earth day. Um, because we're, that's kind of our week to get stuff out there. So yeah. there'll be a lot of fun stuff and opportunities to engage beyond Boise as well. So cool. awesome. that's, it. yeah, we'll, okay. we'll include all of that in the show notes. Yeah, so for sure. thanks again. And we thanks, have one Lance. more announcement. Yes. Uh, we have a new, um, what do you call it? Listener support supporter. Um, Lisa a Williams. Fan. Yeah. It's a middle-ish fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we mention every week that, you know, if you want to help support this podcast and what we're doing, help us spread the mes- message of uh, middle-ish and moderation and sanity and sustainability and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you can support us for a, a monthly fee of four ninety nine, and we have a new supporter. So we'd like to say a huge thank you to Lisa Williams um, for um, signing up for that and supporting us on a monthly, regular basis. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you all for listening and your continued support. Share mm-hmm. this podcast with a friend uh, who would be interested and get involved in Earth Day in your natural environment. We'd love to hear what you decide to do. Absolutely. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Happy Earth Day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.